This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Adventures of Sam Spade was a radio series based loosely on the private detective character Sam Spade, created by writer Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon. The series starred Howard Duff as Sam Spade and Lorreen Tuttle as his secretary, Effie, and took a considerably more tongue-in-cheek approach to the character than the novel or the movie. Scriptwriters Jason James and Bob Tolman received an Edgar Award for Best Radio Drama from the Mystery Writers of America. And here's an episode first aired in 1950, Over My Dead Body. In response to requests representing millions of listening friends, the National Broadcasting Company is pleased indeed to bring you again The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Me, sweet. What number have I got? The Sam Spade Detective Agency. But... Oh, oh, well, me, sweetheart. Something's happened. Call me later, Dwight. The white chat. Look. I didn't know you. You were in town. You didn't write to me. Or... Effie, Effie. This is me in the flesh, Sammy the Spade. Oh, oh now what? Goodbye. Effie, I'm in a payphone. My nickel is running out. Oh, Dwight, how can you be so cruel and play jokes at a time like this? Wait, wait, listen. Well, are you listening? Yes. I am not dead. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. Huh? Or here on the radio. Yes, you were at my funeral. Is that what you were about to say? Yes. And it was lovely. Don't believe that either. Stay right where you are, sweetheart, because I'll be there, alive and handsomer than ever, with an account of a caper which proves you can kill some of the people part of the time. My exaggerated report on the death of Sam Spade. NBC welcomes back to the air a character who has captured the public imagination more completely than any other since the birth of Sherlock Holmes. William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? Candles at my feet, candles I'm at sorry, my head. We're not open for business today. I mean, Mr. Spade's office is closed right now because. because. I'll wait. I'll wait. Oh, you look just like Mr. Spade. What's your name? Spade. S P A D E. Spade. Sam never told me he had a twin brother. He doesn't. But then you. I'm me, Sam. Oh, no. oh wait. Come here. Now, do you believe me? Oh, what's the use? Oh, oh, you're so much like him. Oh, never mind, never mind. Now, get your pencil and paper and take it. Date, November 17th, 1950. To Miss Effie Perry. That's me. 
From Samuel Spade. That's me. License number 137596. You must have been the last one to see him alive. Did he tell you to give me a message? Shut up. Subject, my death. Dear Effie, since the sight of me in the flesh, breathing, hungering, and living doesn't convince you, maybe this report will. Think, if you can, back to last Monday. Now, if you recall, it was about 11 o'clock when on the flimsy pretense that we needed stamps for the office, you drew $2 from petty cash and stepped out to buy a pair of step-ins. And that's when my client materialized. He was small and thin and carried with him the unmistakable odor of stale flowers. His black alpaca suit, string bow tie, elevator shoes, and white gloves had no bearing on his conversation. Oh, dear. My name is Chester Swan. Are you sure? Y- yes. Uh, my name is Spade. What can I do for you? How tall you? are you, Mr. Spade? Six feet in my feet. Wait. 178. I but... always notice a man's bone structure, don't you? Oh, always. Open. But... Huh? Open. Let me see inside. Oh, oh. Uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Fine. Oh, well, now that you know me this well, Mr. Swan, what can I do for you? Oh, dear. Perhaps I... Perhaps I shouldn't have come here at all. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Green. Well, really? Oh, dear. Oh, hello again, Mr. Swan. You wanted to talk to me? Yes, but I... I, I, I can't talk now. Uh, Mr. Spade. Still here. There. I, I live at 8516 Claremont in Berkeley. I'll be there tonight. Oh, dear. This time, as he made his exit, he left $50 on the edge of my desk. And so, stupid me, I was at 8516 Claremont at the close of the day. It was a small white cottage with green shutters and a white picket fence. There was a hill in back and a brook in front. The sun was beginning to set on it, and it was all very picturesque. In fact, so much so that a girl with red hair, blue jeans, purple smock, oils, and canvas was making it immortal. She liked me immediately. Here, hold this. Certainly. Like it? Oh, yeah. This is my first landscape. I'm a sprouting artist. Obvious. Makes your own? Not when I can get somebody to do it for me. Who are you? Oh, I might be a fellow artist. Don't do that. You're a liar. You're Sam Spade. I saw your picture in a newspaper clipping when I was helping Chester clean out his desk before he moved it. Oh, no, but I... You don't know an easel from a palace? Oh, but I could learn. I take it seriously. Well, then so do I. I doubt it. You've never tried to get away, to stand off, to throw off the shackles, have you? No, no, I'll have to admit that the urgency of living, the pressure of merely existing, has had the... Catfish, Sam. By the way, I'm Amy Goodrich. Catfish? The world is full of unhappy people who never try to get away from it all. Well, honestly... Stop it. Well, I wanted to, really. Honestly, Sam, get away from everything. Leave, dissolve. I've dreamed of it. Never return. Cross my heart. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here? To see Mr. Swan. He isn't home yet. This house is a wonderful subject. Look, Sam, colorful, moderate, pleasant. Mm -hmm. That is, until the sun stops shining. But picture it at night in the fog. Mm -hmm. Crushed with barrenness, full of death, brooding, ominous. I'm trying to capture that, too. It's what we've got to get away from, isn't it? Absolutely. You and I... Sam, as you start up the hill on Claremont, there's a green apartment house on the right. I'm in 420. Well, maybe we'll find a way out together. Maybe. I waved her a fond farewell and sat on the steps of my client's house until he showed up at 6.15. He took me inside where the only furniture was an army cot and a portable barbecue. I'm so glad you kept our appointment, Mrs. Spade. I'm so frightened. I've been upset all week long. I didn't know what to do. I just didn't. And what have you been so upset about, Mr. Swan? Well, 
Lately, Mr. Spade, infrequently. For the last week, I've noticed a man. I think he's following me. Mm-hmm. At first, I'd see him in a car following my bus when I went downtown. Mm-hmm. Then he'd be waiting around at the bus stop in the evening when I came back. Oh. I've sold my house, and I'm ready to move. It's unnerved me so much, but... Did he follow you home tonight? No, no, but well, I... Well, would I... anyone be following you, Mr. Swan? Well, I, I, I don't know, Mr. Spade. I don't know. I really don't. All right, I'll try another tack. What does this man look like? He always wears dark clothes and a hat. I'd say he was about your height. Six feet. I remember. Maybe heavier. Same bone structure, though. Yeah. You haven't been to the police. Oh, dear, no. A man in my business can't afford off-color publicity. No? What kind of business is that? The Bonton Mortuary. Oh. 25 years. Same location. (laughs) Oh, and I've worked hard. So very hard. (laughs) And if there's something behind all this, something that has stopped me from being made the executive secretary of the Undertaker's Breakfast Club when they hold their annual election next month, I don't know what I'll do, Mr. Spade. (laughs) I just don't really know what I'll do. I just don't. (laughs) Oh, go ahead, Mr. Swan. You'll feel better. Just let it all out. Just really do. And he did. When he stopped crying, I instructed him to go about his daily habits as always and left, assuring him I'd get to the bottom of it all. I walked down to the corner ostentatiously, which is a neat trick well calculated to throw nefarious observers off the track and lull them into false security. And when the bus showed up ten minutes later, I got on it, rode three blocks, walked back, and took a plant across the street. A clever ruse, as you see, to invite a showdown. Two hours later, a man about my size and dark clothes appeared over the hill and crept stealthily to the front of my client's cottage. He had his eyes glued to the window when I walked up behind him. Hey, let go, let go of me. Come on, you're going inside. Listen, I'm no peeping Tom. No, no, you're the bloodhound type. I'm inviting you in for a real sniff. Oh, no, you don't. I. Well, all right, then. I'll go quietly. No, okay, that's better. Now, just walk on. The kick he landed on me wasn't according to Queensberry. I couldn't move for three or four minutes, and by that time he disappeared. When I recovered my faculties, I reported the incident to my client, who cried himself to sleep. After I bolted him in for the night, I stopped on my way down the hill at apartment 420 in the little green apartment house. She was still wearing the blue jeans and the purple smock, and she still had the same ideas. Come in, Sam. You said you were serious about getting away from it all, and a whole day has passed. It was that pressure of living. I'm, I'm here to apologize. Mm, you are not, but go ahead. I'm sorry, Angel. I love to be fooled, Sam. You're forgiven. Now, how's the painting coming? The, the one of Swan's cottage. Slow. Fog is always tough. Looks nice, though. How long have you been on it? Three weeks, all told. Well, then you've had a pretty good plan on the house, haven't you? Ever notice a tall, broad-shouldered guy in a dark suit casing the place? Tall, broad-shouldered. Pretty much like me. Could anybody be pretty much like you, Sam? No. Sam, is there something wrong? No, no. Well, then don't stand there doing nothing. Do something. Who, me? Amy fixed me a small dinner, which had a strong turpentine taste to it. Then we mixed oils and painted and made fudge. Next afternoon at the Hall of Records, I did a little spade work on Chester Swan. His application and permit to practice undertaking in the city of San Francisco were dated 1938. Details, unmarried, 52 years of age. 
Graduated from mortician school in Ohio, listed one living relative, nephew, Theodore J. Swan, Toledo, Ohio. I was gathering the above information when I smelled whiskey over my shoulder, which is always good luck. It was Al Torrington, who was also in the private investigation racket in this city, and he was leaning, peering from my face to the card that I held in my hand. Uh, did he yeah. get over to you too, Sam? Who got over to me, Al? Him, that thinny with the tears. What's his name? Uh, uh, well, my eyes ain't so good. Swan, Al. Chester Swan. Mortician. Yeah, yeah, that's him, Sam. The same one exactly. Came to my office two weeks complaining about somebody following him. And he did nothing about it. Said I was too fat. Oh, well, you are, Al. Are you sure? Sure, I'm sure. And some other, the boy said he was around there, too. Wanted a private eye, but he wanted a man who looked just right. How right? <laughs> Obviously as right as you are, Sam, because it looks like he picked you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, F, it did look like he picked me. And I thought that over, and I didn't like it. And I called my client at home to tell him he was fired, but he didn't give me a chance. Oh, dear, I'm so glad you called, Mr. Spade. I really am. I call for a reason, Mr. Swan. I'm resigning this case. Oh, dear, Mr. Spade, you can't do that. You really can't. I don't think you've been quite honest with me, Mr. Swan. Oh, dear. Tears I... will get you nowhere. I made a routine check on your reasons for hiring me, and they don't quite fit with the reasons you gave. They really just don't quite, Mr. Swan. It's no game, Mr. Spade. Believe me. He... He's back tonight. Right now, he's standing beneath the lamppost outside my window, and I'm frightened to death. Mm. But please hurry over, Mr. Spade, and let's get this business straight now. Please, please. And stupid, stupid me, I went over. And I found that little white cottage on the hill looking grim and gaunt in the heavy fog. Amy's words about it being crushed with barrenness, full of brooding and death, came back to me. And Mr. Swan's frightened words about a mysterious man in dark clothes waiting beneath the streetlight also came back to me. Particularly when I noted there was no streetlight near the house. However, there was a light somewhere in the rear of the house, and the front door was ajar. Oh, Mr. Swan! Mr. Swan, are you here? Oh, Mr. Swan, it's me, Sam Spade. Are you here? Mr. Spade? Is that you? Are you out there? Where are you? Things happened fast. I turned around to find the front door filled with a man in a dark suit. He had something in his hand. It looked like a roll of cotton candy, but it felt different. It only staggered me against the wall, but it made me forget where my arms were. Easy, Spade. Easy does it, boy. Easy. He let me down to the floor gently. I could still see the lights somewhere in the back of the house, and I could hear him talking way off. Take off his coat. Quick, quick. Give me the needle. I don't know. Hurry. I can't watch. I... I'm going upstairs! The needle went somewhere in my left arm, but not before somebody pulled my coat off, and for no reason I could think of at the moment, also tried to pull my finger off. Well, I couldn't dwell on it. By that time, the stuff in my arm was going other places, and I was going with it, even though there was action all around me. Get out of it! No, no, stay away from me! Get out of here! Vaguely, somewhere, somebody was shooting Roman candles or having bow-outs or playing bebop. I just didn't care at all. I just didn't. The first thing I saw was sunlight. It was the kind you see in a picture. It was a picture of a little white cottage with green shutters. You guessed it. I was in Amy's apartment where we made fudge together. I got to my feet somehow. 
I knew the best thing to do with me. There was a fire escape in a window. I got out there and I weaved against the wall. He's gone. He couldn't have gotten away with that load he was carrying. I don't know. I don't know. He was unconscious when I left. Well, don't him. just stand there. We've got to I... do something. There might be trouble. Now, let's I didn't wait to find out what they were going to do. I made my way down the fire escape and started walking for the street. And, and that's when I noticed my shoes didn't fit me anymore. They weren't mine. Neither was the gray flannel suit with the label marked Tidkey's. Neither was the blue shirt. While I was at it, the ring on my finger engraved Emerson High 1936 wasn't mine either. My new belt buckle had a big letter T on it, which is not my initial. It really isn't. And I didn't have any use for the eyeglasses in my coat pocket either. You were out when I walked in the office, F, but you've been there. There was a black crepe done up in a white satin ribbon hanging on the door. The desk blotter was drenched with salt tears. And a newspaper folded back to page 13, and I'll sue the chronicle on this if it's the last thing I do, gave me a two-inch spread. Item, November 15th, 1950. 15th? What happened to the 13th and the 14th? Detective perishes in Berkeley fire. I read it through once. And twice. It was my obituary. You are listening to the first in a new series of adventures involving radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. And now back to Caper Over My Dead Body. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I left the crepe on the door and went out to buy a new desk blotter and some more newspapers. The hobo news had the best story, which wasn't much. Samuel Spade, licensed private investigator, perished Wednesday night in a fire in a vacant house in Berkeley. His warm friends will feel regret at the passing of a man who was always kind to the poor. None of us ever asked Sam Spade for a handout without receiving a kind word and bon mot as he turned us down. This was nice, but I wanted more. Figured I was fairly safe to wander about unrecognized. My ill-fitting attire acquired from my unknown benefactor would be disguised enough when combined with my two-day beard. Engine Company 16, Berkeley Division, had handled the fire, and half a block away was a grog shop called the Shamrock. I waited for a fireman to come in. Bartender. Bartender! What kind of a place are you running now? I've been here five minutes already. All right, shut up, Patty. You just arrived. Well, it seemed like five minutes. A a wee bit more there, if you Uh, don't mind. That's enough for you, Patty. You're still on duty. I am not. I'm off now. The chief said I could be off. It ain't every day I receive such a shock to me system. You received your shock three days ago. And I'm still shaking, man. <coughs> oh, the sight of him was terrible, terrible. Burnt as black as the good saint's beard. All twisted and horrible in death. He was probably dead drunk and didn't know what happened to him. And were you there fighting the flames and finding him like me? Hmm? Oh, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. <coughs> terrible. It wasn't that bad, and you've had your limit. And who says so? I say so. Oh, you do, 
do you? And who are you? Your brother-in-law. Well, now. Well, maybe I can spot you one, Pat. I never drink with strangers. What's your name? Uh, old Doolin. Well, you heard the man. Go ahead, pour. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Uh, Fireman, you had a terrible experience three days ago. Oh, that I did, Mr. O'Doolan. That I did indeed. That I did. I've heard it a dozen times. I'll be at the other end. It was three nights ago, Mr. O'Doolan, and we get a call to the house on Claremont is a fire. Well, sir, when we get there, it's about all gone. Can't understand why it went up flames so fast. Would. It was the funeral fire of a man who lived in sin. Hmm? A detective fellow, Sam Spade, he was identified as. Oui. Oh, one moment, Fireman. I've heard fine things about him. Ah, some of those uppity police fellows from the Division of Homicide said he was a nice fellow. But some of the boys at the fire station and myself, well, we got our own ideas about that. Oh, what kind of ideas, Fatty, me boy? What kind of good can any man be accomplishing in an empty house late at night, I ask you, Mr. O'Doolan? Mm-hmm. Oh, he was done to attorney was when I burst in the door with me axe. Save Satan the trouble. Charge. Empty whiskey bottles scattered all about. Sin, O'Doolan, sin. He'd gone to sleep with a smoking cigarette that set the whole place off. Vice rampant. From there, I went downtown to a telegraph office where I sent a wire to Toledo on a long chance. And while I was waiting for an answer on a not-so-long chance, I slunk into the Bon Ton funeral parlor to pay my respects to the departed. I stood in the back of that dimly lit chapel and scanned the sea. Three of the boys from Homicide were there, blowing their noses. Two chorus girls I thought had long since forgotten me were there in black, deep bean necks. My insurance man was there, looking awful worried. One chronicle reporter with photographer, a shoeshine boy from our building, and the bailiff from the courthouse, just to mention a few I could make out. And you were there, Effie, up front near a closed casket. I made out a bar of flowers from robbery detail. It said, goodbye, Sam. Maxie from the city morgue was the only one who looked at ease. All right. Does anyone wish to uh, you, miss? Many called him Samus. But I called him friend. Uh. On this. I was touched, Effie. And I would have stopped the whole thing then and there. But I had to find out who was in that casket. I reeled out the front door with tears in my eyes and slid around to the back door and into Chester Swan's private office. And there I made a phone call and got an answer to my telegram, which caused me to make another call to his bank. By that time, most of it was right in place. A search through his desk revealed nothing, and a safe standing in the corner the same. But then my answer walked right in the door. Oh, Sam, darling, I was so worried when I found you'd left, but I saw you at the funeral, and I thought you'd be here. And the guy who was with you? Was he worried for Oh, him, him. That was Dr. Jesslin. Sam, you'd been out for two days, and I didn't... Oh, Sam, you're safe. You got away from it all. You've escaped, darling. Yeah, yeah, they're burying me right now. I'm dead. It's so wonderful, Sam. Only one thing. Where do you fit? Hmm? The caper. I was supposed to burn up in that fire, and what was left was supposed to look enough like Theodore J. Swan, class of 1936 Toledo, Ohio, to let beneficiary Chester Swan collect a nice pile of insurance money. Sam, what do you 
you talking about? Who's Theodore J.? What did you say? Chester's only living relative. They're burying him right now. Somebody lost his caper. You want to tell me? Darling, I-, I was at the house the night of the fire, working on my foggy picture. You didn't see me when you went in, and later on you didn't come out. And I went over... And I was on the floor, and a man was bending over me. He changed clothes with you, Sam, and I screamed, and he pulled out a gun, and I hit him with a hoe. And I drug you out on the lawn. And then what happened? I put put you in my car and took you home. I was going to phone the police, but I decided it was something you were working on, and I went back to the house, and it... And it, it was burning, and you knew the man you'd hit on the head was in there. Believe me, Sam, I didn't know the house was going to burn down. I wouldn't kill anybody, Sam. I only wanted to... You only wanted to help me, and you did right, Angel. Oh, Sam. It's all right. I'm your witness. You didn't start the fire. Did somebody really started it? Chester. He thought it was me lying on the floor in there. The bank tells me he's about to go busted. He figured this one out with his nephew to scare up some insurance, though. I'm about the same Hold size. Hold me, Sam. Hold me. It's been horrible. This is the kind of thing I was trying to paint. Now I'm smack dab up against it and I'm sick. I'm scared. Easy, easy. Sam, you're really dead. There's our way out, Sam. Just leave oh. now. Let it go the way it is. They all think you're dead. Oh, dear. Huh? But we know different, don't we, Mr. Spade? He was holding a Navy Colt revolver in front of him with both hands. I couldn't make up my mind to rush him and count on his bad aim or stand still and be a perfect target while I tried to talk him out of it. Either way, he was a crazy man with a gun. He was getting ready to use it. Sam, he's going to kill us. Quiet, Because my nephew was stupid enough to wear your watch and your suit when he exchanged clothes with you, I'm going to lose the bonton. And that puts you in quite a spot, doesn't it, Mr. Swan? Until a moment ago, yes, but now. Mr. Spade, the newspapers all say you're dead. The death certificate says the same thing. All of your friends are following your casket and my nephew's corpse to the cemetery at this very moment. Everybody expects you to be dead, Mr. Spade. Thanks to you, Mr. Swan. But now... Nobody'd miss you if, if I killed you. I'd miss you, Sam. But I'd have to kill you, too. Oh. Did you notice you were still wearing Theodore's clothes, even his ring? Why, Mr. Spade, I, I could kill you and put you in a fire somewhere and collect my insurance on Theodore now, couldn't I? No. Why, that's a terrible thing to think. Huh? Oh, you're not reasoning properly, Chester. You really aren't. How would you explain Amy? You just said you'd have to kill her. And what about the coroner's office? You know how they are. But if I... But and really... don't forget the medical examiner's got something to say, too. Not to mention but... the fact that you'd have to really burn me up to cover up the bullet hole. I... And furthermore, Chester, when you shoot me, oh. if you happen to hit a rib and chip off some bone, they'd no. know I was shot before. And then homicide would be in on it. Oh, no, stop, then... stop, stop. Nothing works for me. I'm a failure. Oh, go ahead, Mr. Swan. Let it all out. You'll feel better. <laughs> And he did. And he's still crying in his cell downtown. Period. End of report. Oh, Sam, you were so brave. You actually stood there and talked that crazy man out of, out of murdering you. You were wonderful. True, Effie. Amy thinks so, too. She's uh, going to do me in oils when they let her out of the poker. Amy's in jail? What for, Sam? Oh, technical charge of an involuntary manslaughter. And Springer, as soon as the coroner's inquest is completed. Dear Amy. Did she make good fudge, Sam? Fudge? Oh, that was the least of it. Oh? What do you mean? After the fudge. What the? Panucci. 
Oh, boy, oh, boy. Say, go type that up, sweetheart, while I see if there's any mention of my miraculous resuscitation on the radio page. Go, go, scoot, scoot. Well, here it is, Sam. All typed up. Good. I will sign it, and you will keep it always to remind you that I'm still here. Living, breathing, brave, and handsome. A paragon. Mm. Sam, what will we do about the mail? The mail? What mail? Where? Well, all the letters and postcards and telegrams and all that came in when people thought you... Oh, where were we? You weren't good. When they thought you... Oh, there's been enough tears tonight. Oh, Sam, it's so good to have you back. Will you be the same as you always were? Well, I'm going to try. Because then you can't help but be, like they say, the greatest private detective of them all. We'll see. Good night. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by E. Jack Newman. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Frank Worth. Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. Hear the magnificent Montague, then visit Duffy's Tavern on NBC. Stay tuned for Suspense next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time for scary stuff like Suspense. Suspense. This is the man in black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you two of America's most artful and distinguished stars. From the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer lot stop studios comes Mr. Robert Young of the Warner Brothers, Miss Geraldine Fitzgerald. Mr. Young and Miss Fitzgerald are with us to play in an unusual tale by the unusual James Thurber. An excerpt from the book, My World and Welcome to It, called A Friend to Alexander, adapted for radio by Freya Howard, is tonight's study in suspense. And of Geraldine Fitzgerald is his wife, Bess, who relates these events to us. We again hope to keep you in... Suspense. Harry was a laughing, happy-go-lucky fellow before he began to have those dreams. I guess he was pretty much like dozens of other men who go to work every morning settle down in soft chairs with their newspapers after dinner, and like a weekend in the country now and then. He was fond of easy living and good times. Like everyone else, he talked of the war, rationing tires, and his golf scores. Until... Until those nightmares began to plague him. At first, I was amused. 
You know, I've been dreaming about Aaron Burr every night. What for? Well, how do I know what for? <laughs> Aaron Burr is a funny person to be dreaming about nowadays. Why? I mean, with all the countries in the world at war with each other. What's so funny about dreaming? Maybe you're upset. Well, everybody dreams, don't they? I don't see why you'd see Aaron Burr in your dreams. Well, I do. Where do you see him? Oh, places. In Washington Square, or Bowling Green, or on Broadway. Even here on 55th Street? Mostly downtown. I'll be talking to a woman in a Victoria. A woman holding a white lace parasol. Oh. And suddenly there will be Aaron Burr. Bowing and smiling and smelling like a carnation. Telling his stories about France and getting off his insults. Who is the woman in the Victoria? Hmm? What? The woman. Who is she? Well, how do I know? You know about people in dreams, don't you? They're nobody at all. Or everybody. Ah, but you see Aaron Burr plainly enough, though. I mean, he isn't anybody or nobody. Or everybody. All right, all right. You have me there, but I, I don't know who the woman is. Are you sure? What's more, I don't care. Maybe it's Madame Jumel or... Mittens Willett, a girl I knew in high school. Who's Mittens Willett? She was a famous New York actress in her day, 50 years ago or so. She's buried in an old cemetery on 2nd Avenue. I've seen the tombstone. That's very sad. Why is it? Oh, I mean, she, she probably died young. Almost all women did in those days. He's a vile, cynical cad. I was standing and talking to Alexander Hamilton when Burr stepped up and slapped him in the face. When I looked at Hamilton... Who do you suppose it was? I don't know. Who? My brother, Walter. One I've told you about. The one who was killed by that drunk in the cemetery. Harry, I never could get that story straight. I've told you about it a dozen times. This drunk came up to him when his back was turned and... What was he doing in the cemetery? That's not the point. He was killed. That's what's important. And I loved him very much. I don't understand what... What's the use of telling you every time I mention it? You start asking the same questions. I understand now, dear. When you looked at Hamilton, he was your brother, Walter. Yes. Harry, maybe... Maybe we ought to go to the country for more weekends. Weekends? Yes. I'm going to bed. For a time that evening, I worried about Harry. Not about his dream. Why shouldn't he dream? But I wondered about his health. He looked so... So worried somehow, so unlike himself. I was glad when he went to bed. A good night's sleep was just what he needed, I thought. How could I know? The next morning, we were quietly eating our grapefruit when Harry flung down his spoon. I wish he'd go back to France and stay there, him and his la-la. Who, dear? <laughs> oh, you mean Aaron Burr. Did you dream about him again? Yes, he said la-la to me. Why should he say la-la? I was at the tavern and we were drinking ale and I said something funny. I don't remember what it was. Something amusing about what uh, Ben Franklin had said to Washington once. One of those things, you know. No, I don't. Have some, have some more coffee, dear. I don't want any coffee. I made this remark and everyone laughed. Everyone but Burr, that is. He sort of sniffed. And then he said, la-la. Well, why not? I mean... Is there anything wrong about him saying la-la? It was the way he said it. He was sneering at me. They all noticed it. Who, oh, dear? Who noticed The it? others, all of them. And Hamilton. I was there with Hamilton. It was swell until Burr came in. Aaron Burr. I don't see why you dream about him all the time. Don't you think you should take some luminol? 
I'm not sick, I tell you. I know what I'm dreaming. I just thought, well, it's always Burr, and that seems odd. Well, why? Why shouldn't I dream about Burr if I want to? But you don't want to. No, but I can't help it. Everywhere I go with Alexander, sooner or later Burr shows up and makes those nasty remarks. Last night he elbowed Alexander out of his way, did it deliberately. Alexander? Hamilton. Oh, Alexander Hamilton. Yes, goodness knows I'm familiar enough with him by this time to call him by his first name. Uh, Harry, you know, we might go to the old Rovers Inn this weekend. You like it there. Hamilton has become not only my brother, Walter, but practically every other guy I've ever liked. Don't you like the old Rovers Inn anymore? Isn't it natural that Hamilton should represent my brother and guys I like? That's natural, isn't it? Yes, I suppose it is. Well, then why are you looking at me like that? You know, dear, I, I wish you'd go and see Dr. Fox. I don't want to see Dr. Fox. I want Aaron Burr to stop sneering at me in my clothes. He looks at me and his lips curl up and he says, The law, Mr. Andrews, what odd taste you have. Mm. I wish you'd go and see Dr. Fox. I'm going to the zoo and feed popcorn to the rhinoceros. That makes things, things seem right, for a little while anyway. I thought he'd forgotten all about that ancient pistol duel. Because for two days after that, he lost his haggard, tired look and actually seemed cheerful. But one night, about five in the morning, he came into my room in pajamas and bare feet. His hair disheveled and his eyes wild. He got him. He got him. The rotter got him. Alexander fired in the air and smiled at him. Just like Walter must have smiled. Like Walter? Oh, yes, dear. Your brother, Walter, who was killed in the cemetery. It was at Weehawken in New Jersey. What? Your brother? No, Hamilton and Burr. The duel. Hamilton had a white ruff around his neck. Burr was in black tights. French clothes. Alexander lifted his pistol and fired in the air and then smiled at Burr. And then that fiend from hell took deliberate aim. He took so long. He meant to take his time about it. I saw him grin. And then he pointed his pistol at Alexander and fired. He killed him in cold blood and a foul scum. Oh, darling. <laughs> Don't, darling. Here. Here, dear. Take some of these pills. I don't want any. Oh, take it. You'll feel better. I don't want any, I tell you. Here, darling. Swallow. Please, Swallow. There. That's better. Cad. The rotten, sneaking cad. He grinned just as he fired. And Alexander clutched himself at the stomach and shook his head and tried to walk forward. And he fell. With his mouth open as though he wanted to say something. And Burr stood there, grinning. He was better after that, but I kept urging him to see Dr. Fox. At first he refused, but later he decided to humor me. <laughs> he was humoring me by this time, and Dr. Fox, too. How you been feeling, Doc? Oh, fairly well, Mr. Andrews. My pulse has been a sti- <clears throat> Now, uh, just what seems to be the trouble? Nothing. Nothing wrong with me. He has nightmares. Mm, you look a little underweight. Perhaps your diet. Oh, I'm not underweight. 
Overweight, maybe, but not underweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting enough exercise? Same as usual. He's, he's worried about something. He always has this same dream. Aha, uh-huh. a dream, eh? What kind of a dream? Just a plain old dream. Aha. Uh-huh. No, it isn't. It's about his brother, Walter, who was killed in a cemetery by a drunken man. Only it isn't really about him. Really? Why, very few people are actually killed in cemeteries. Yeah, it's an interesting coincidence, if I may say so. You mean, you know somebody who was killed in a cemetery, too? Is that the coincidence? No, I, I meant your brother being killed in a cemetery. You know, dead in a cemetery. A sort of, uh... Do you follow me? No. I think you should go see Dr. Fox, Dr. Fox. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, very interesting. I, uh, I wonder if you'd mind stepping into the next room, Mr. Andrews. I want to give you a thorough examination. Uh, right in here, sir, and we'll just have a look. Well, I hope you're satisfied. You heard what he said. There's nothing the matter with me at all. I'm glad your heart is so fine. He said so, you know. He said your heart is fine. Sure it's fine. My heart's fine. Everything's fine. And, and you know, you know what I was thinking? No, what? I was just thinking that now that Alexander Hamilton is dead, why, you won't see any more of Aaron Burr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> But I was wrong. Aaron Burr did not leave my husband to sweeter or more peaceful dreams. Harry said nothing about it for several mornings, but I could tell he was still being tortured by those ghosts. He brooded over his breakfast. He didn't answer me when I spoke to him. I dropped my butter knife, and he jumped. What was that? Only my knife. Oh. Harry. Are you still dreaming about that man? Oh, I wish I hadn't told you about it. Forget it, will you? I can't forget it with you going on this way. Can't you forget I mentioned it? Maybe you should see a psychiatrist. Oh, bosh. What What does he do now? What does who do? Aaron Burr. I don't see why he keeps coming into your dreams now. He goes around bragging that he did it with his eyes closed. Says he didn't even look. Didn't look when? When he killed Alexander in that duel. Well, what... He claims he can hit the ace of spades at 30 paces blindfolded. Furthermore, since you ask what he does, he... He jostles me at parties now. I think you should stay out of this, Harry. It wasn't any business of yours anyway. And it happened so long ago. I'm not getting into anything. It's getting into me. Can't you see that? I see that we've got to get you away from here. Oh, maybe if you slept someplace else for a few nights. You wouldn't dream about him anymore. I don't know. Let's go to the country tomorrow. We'll stay at the Lime Rock Lodge. Uh, Bess, why can't we visit the Crowleys? They live in the country. All right, fine. Bob has a pistol, and we could do a little target shooting. What do you want a pistol for? Plenty of open space. I think you'd want to get away from shooting. Yeah. Shooting. The vacation seemed a success at first. When we arrived at the Crowley's house in the cab, I thought I'd left my suitcase at the railroad station. Harry laughed his old, normal laugh for the first time in many days as he found the bag and handed it to me. 
And then he leaned over and kissed me. Ah, good old Connecticut. Oh, Harry, this is wonderful. <laughs> oh, we'll have a grand time there. Yes, dear. Hello, Matt. Hi, Harry. Here they come. Good old Bob. Remind me to tell him that rabbit joke. Mm-hmm. Hello, Madison. I'll take your bags, Mr. Andrews. Thank you, Madison. Good to see you. Uh, thank you, sir. Hello there. Chris, what a wonderful Well, Bob, Hi, how's the old country squire? Oh, fine. How have you been? Never better. Boy, it's good to be here. Hello, Alice. Well, you too. I'm so glad you've come. It's kind of dull here in the hinterland. Oh, I'm glad, too. Say, <laughs> so, hey, wait till you get one of our extra special cold martinis into you. Mm. You'll be in ship shape. Still know how to mix them, huh? Better never. Get lots of practice these long country winters. <laughs> oh, it was grand, seeing Harry's face relaxed and smiling over his cocktail glass. When I went to bed that night, I felt that at last that nasty old business of the dream was over. And I was happy. But when I awoke the next morning, when I awoke, I saw my husband lying rigid on his back, staring at the ceiling. One Henry Andrews, an architect. What's the matter, dear? Nothing. Oh, why don't you go back to sleep, Harry? It's only eight o'clock, and this is the country. One Henry Andrews, an architect. What are you talking about? That's what he calls me. Calls you who? One Henry Andrews, an architect, keeps saying in his nasty little sneering voice, One Henry Andrews! Oh, Harry, please don't yell. You'll wake the whole house. Honey, people want to sleep. I'm beneath you. I'm just anybody. I'm a man in a gray suit. Be on your good behavior, my good man, he says to me. Or I shall have one of my lackeys give you a taste of the riding crop. Why should he say that to you? You ask me why. He wasn't such a great man, was he? I mean... Didn't he try to sell Louisiana to the French or something behind Washington's back? He was a traitor. Then why worry what he said? He was a scoundrel. But a very brilliant mind. I was in hopes you you weren't going to dream about him anymore. I thought if we came up here... It's him or me. I can't stand this forever. Neither can I. As I had expected, Harry spent most of the afternoon with Bob shooting at targets. At first, they just aimed at the paper squares. It all seemed to be good-natured and in fun. After a while, Harry stood with his back to the dead tree trunk on which the targets were nailed. Then he walked 30 paces ahead in a stiff-legged manner, and his face was set in stern lines. His revolver was at arm's length above his head when he turned suddenly and fired... Bob dropped to the ground, scared. Hey, what's the big idea, Harry? But Harry didn't answer. He started to walk back to that dead tree trunk again. Then with his back to the target, he began marking off the 30 paces. Bob called to him. I think they kept their arms hanging straight down. I don't think they stuck them up in the air. But my husband continued to count off. At the 30th step, he lowered his arm, wheeled about suddenly and fired from his hip. Hey there, watch out! Two of the shots missed the tree, but the last one hit it. Like a mechanical man or someone in a trance, Harry began to walk back to the tree again without a word. His lips tight, his eyes bright, his breathing coming fast. And look, it's my turn! But Harry about-faced and stalked on. This time when he fired, his eyes were closed. Well, Bob didn't know what to make of this strange behavior. Hey, good heavens, man, give me that gun, will you? Without a protest, Harry let him have it. For the first time, he spoke. I, I need a lot more practice, I guess. Well, not with me standing around. 
Come on, let's get back to the house and shake up a drink. Gee, I've got the jumps. I need a lot more. I guess I must have slept soundly that night because I didn't hear him leave the room. He must have crawled out of bed, dressed silently and crept out of the room. The sun was just coming up and the light was hard and the air was cold. Then I heard the shot. I threw on the dressing gown and ran downstairs. The Crowleys were in the hall. Oh, good heavens, there. Is Harry all right? You sound like it. Where is he? What's he doing? It sounds as though he's out behind the studio shooting. <sighs> Alice. Oh, no, no. Take it easy, Beth. Bob will go out and get him. Maybe maybe he had a nightmare or walked in his sleep. No, no. He never walked in his sleep. He's awake all right. Well, let's go down and get some coffee. He'll need some. Yes, I'll need some, too. Hey, what the dickens is the matter with him, anyway? I don't know. I'm so sorry. Bob, you go get him. At your service, madam. Alive or dead. Bob, stop it. Okay. I'll do my best. Come on, Beth. We'll go to the kitchen. What's that noise? Where? In the kitchen. <coughs> oh. Oh, it's you, Madison. Uh, yes, ma'am. Well, you're shaking. I, I was just wondering, ma'am. No, I... no, no. It's all right, Madison. You go on back to bed. Uh, Clotheda was scared, ma'am, and I uh, thought... Well, you tell Clotheda that it's all right. Mr. Andrews is uh, shooting a little. He couldn't sleep. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, I don't know what to do, Alice. (laughs) I guess the Crowleys were relieved when the cab came to drive us to the station early that day. Their maid had threatened to leave. The neighbors were complaining about the early morning disturbance. And their own nerves were ragged. Oh, I'll need a drink after that. Yes, make mine a stiff one. Gee, I'm sure glad he's gone. Well, it was either he or Clotheda. You can't afford to lose a good cook these days. But what do you think's the matter with him? I don't know. It's what Clotheda would call the shoots, I guess. You know, he said a funny thing when I went out and got him this morning. Well, let's have it. I could stand a funny thing. I asked him what the deuce he was doing out there in that freezing air with only his pants and shirt and shoes on. And you know what he said? What? I'll get him one of these nights. That's just what he said. By this time, I was really frightened. When we returned to the city, Harry was a picture of gloom. Our first night back, I looked at him as he lay on the chaise long in my bedroom in his blue dressing gown, smoking a cigarette. He was haggard and tired. And he kept biting his lower lip. I mixed a scotch and water nightcap for him. No, thanks. No liquor. I need a steady hand. Watch my hand. Does it tremble? No. Is it steady? Yes. Very. That's good. That's very good. You need a steady hand, you know. For what, dear? Oh, things. Harry, will you sleep in my room tonight? No, you keep shaking me all night to keep me awake. You're afraid to let me meet you. Are you still on that? Why do you think everybody's better than I? I can outshoot him the best day he ever lived. Oh, of course, In the dear. whisk. Right 
next to the middle button. He has three big pearl buttons on his waistcoat. Came from France. Why don't you dream about somebody else? Anybody else? Please. You'd like that, wouldn't you? You'd like to have me dream about somebody who wouldn't hurt a fly. Somebody like that. Because you'd know I'd never get in a duel with him. A duel? You're dreaming of a duel now? Ever since Hamilton died. Burr knows I hate him. It's nearly over now. Harry. It's him or me. I'll get him, the rotter. But Harry... I know I'll get him. See, I have a modern pistol. He has to use an old-fashioned single-shot muzzle loader. <laughs> Is that quite fair? Fair? What do I care if it's fair or not? Was it fair the way he shot Alexander? Was it? Don't be mad with me, Harry. Oh, I'm... I'm sorry, darling. I'm very unhappy. I'm sorry, darling. And I'm worried sick. Well, I'm sorry, darling. Don't cry. Please don't cry. It upsets me when you cry. I mustn't be upset. I must be very calm and rested. My hand must be steady tonight. Especially tonight. I'm so worried, Harry. Don't worry about me. I'll be all right. I'll be fine. My hand is like a rock. Later, when I kissed him goodnight, I knew it was really goodbye. He didn't say anything and neither did I. It's just that he seemed so far away, in, in another world. And each moment I felt that he was becoming more and more remote. Something told me he wasn't coming back. I couldn't sleep. After an hour of tossing and turning, I went to Harry's room. He was sleeping peacefully. I sat down in his chair and watched over him for a long while. Then, finally, I must have fallen asleep. Beautiful morning. It was about five in the morning when I awoke. Harry was talking in his sleep. Oh, yes, the doctor. Good of you to come, doctor. Yes, often misty at this hour. Harry. Are they loaded? Splendid. Harry, wake up. Yes, I'm perfectly ready. Is Mr. Burr? Yes, good. Shall we proceed? No, I do not care to make a statement. Very well. Yes, I understand perfectly. Ten paces. Turn and fire at the dropping of the handkerchief. Yes, ten paces. Thank you for acting as my second, Mr. J. Of course, extremely good of you. Very well, then I'm quite ready. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. puzzled when he examined Harry the next morning. Oh, extraordinary. His heart was as sound as a dollar when I saw him the other day. He seemed to be fine, Dr. Fox. I can't understand it. What? Why his heart stopped as if he'd been shot. Shot? Yes. Of course, there are no gunshot wounds and no... Shot. Now, Mrs. Andrews. That's it. Shot. Now, now, you'll have to calm yourself. You can't help him now. I should have known it would happen. Kept staring at Harry's right hand. The three fingers next to the index finger were closed stiffly on the palm, 
as if gripping the handle of a pistol. The taut thumb was doing its part to hold that invisible handle tightly and unwaveringly. But it was the index finger which held my eye the longest. I looked carefully to make sure I was right. Yes. Yes, it was so. That index finger was curved inward slightly, as if it were about to press the trigger of a pistol. So there had been a duel after all. Perhaps there was no gunshot wound. But Harry had been shot as surely as he was dead. Dr. Fox saw me staring and spoke to me. What are you looking at, Mrs. Andrews? Harry never even fired a shot. Aaron Burr killed him the way he killed Hamilton. What are you talking about? Aaron Burr shot him through the heart. I knew he would. Yes, but there's no evidence. I knew he would. Then Dr. Fox put an arm around me. He looked at me gently and, and a bit frightened, the way I used to look at Harry when he told me about his dreams. He led me to his assistant and whispered something. He thought I didn't hear him, but I did. It's crazy. Stark, raving crazy. I let the assistant take me away. Maybe he thought I was crazy, too. But now, I knew. Aaron Burr got Harry. Just as he had killed Hamilton in that old quarrel long ago. Young and Geraldine Fitzgerald, the James Thurber story, which was tonight's tale of Suspense. The producer of these broadcasts is William Spear, who with Robert Louis Sheehan, guest director, Freya Howard, author, and Bernard Herman and Lucien Marowick, conductor and composer, collaborated in presenting A Friend to Alexander. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Lights Out, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.